With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, folks, welcome back. Jeremy Moss here with Matt Kennerly. The final preview show, UNLV football. We're talking Rebs, and we made it, like you say, Matt, through the offseason together. Always. Always together, right? Every week, pretty much? Pretty much, yeah. Pretty much we were. And so, yeah, um, this is our – if you're first time finding us, we appreciate that. We have a uh, – well, this by the time you hear this, if you type in mwwire.com, that will get you directly to our stuff on college football news. No need to worry about the uh, – well, the college football news part, right? Collegefootballnews.com slash mwcwire. Yeah, that's, uh, that's still there, but mwwire gets the direct connection because now if you – peruse that website there is well at least as of this recording uh, georgia football west virginia football a lot of stuff going on there so and i guess arkansas state at some point maybe but uh, that's I not be- them i believe if you know anybody out there that's a fan of the Sun Belt, i believe the new venture is being called Sun Belt heat so be on the lookout Ooh. for that too by jeremy harper right is he doing all Sun Belt? Uh, I don't know if he's doing all Sun Belt. He, I know he's primarily known for doing Arkansas State stuff. But either way, it should be good. I like that name, Sun Belt Heat. Because it's as better than doing Fun Belt as your name. Oh, here it is, right here. Nine hours ago, as of this recording. Tomorrow's sizzling take on CFN, Sun Belt Heat. Excellent. There you go. I'll give him a retweet right now. We know, I know Jeremy a little bit, so... A lot of stuff coming down. So if you like college football, a lot more things coming in from CFN. So Pete stuff, Pete Futak, and everybody else. So we're talking Rebels tonight. And our social media handles, because we've had some changes a little bit, MWCWire is our Twitter handle. Um, mm-hmm. Pretty much the same on Facebook, Matt Westwire, short code MWCWire on Facebook. So our follower account is not high on Facebook. I'd like to get to 100 at some point. We're new. We'd start over. It happens, but... Give us a hand, right? Helping hand. Also, one last piece of business. Fantasy football. We've got people signing up for our fantasy football leagues. So, if you go to our Patreon page on the right side, that's MWCWire. See, again, MWCWire on this one. If you go to the right side, there's a handful of options to join the league. Costs a few bucks. You can win a few bucks, and you can help our website. So, if you want to play Mountain West-specific fantasy football, you can beat up on myself or Matt or whomever, and... Like I said before, laugh at us, right? If they win. Yeah, bragging rights are invaluable. Well, but then you have also valuable money you could win as well. Yeah. So let's get to Rebels. That's all the business we want to take care of. Let's actually get to the show. Cutting out the theme song tonight because it's too long this evening. Because we spent three minutes talking about that stuff. So we're talking Rebel football. Last team in the uh, out of all the 12 we talked about. Not because they're last. It's just... Well, we vote. Fans voted in. They didn't always run out and support UNLV, unfortunately. So well, last, late, last certainly, certainly not least. They're an interesting team. I agree. So let's get started. Let's start what we normally do. Okay, they are Tony Sanchez head coach going into year three. You know, 
I'm keeping that in. I got to fix my TV here, but I'm not taking that out. There's no, we don't need to edit, do we? Yeah. <laughs> I edit this. I edit any hissing or sound in there, but with the TV sound, whatever. Let's get going. Say and change year three coming in. He has projected to not do great this year. S and P plus um, one eighteen out of one thirty. That's not very good. But I there's optimism there. But I don't know if I'm ready to bring the optimism to Rebel football just because. They beat Wyoming last year pretty hand, well, not handily, but put up points on them, I should say. Got that victory, but besides that, they had a lot of injuries last year. Wide receiver, which is a big deal, went through a lot of different quarterbacks. Running game was pretty good, but not really eye popping. But yeah. on the other side, there's a, that those things look to be better this year. I mean, yes and no. I think that UNLV is probably the hardest team to predict this year if you're trying to glean what to take from last year because, like you said, they had a lot of injuries and, you know, they won some games that they probably should have lost and lost some other games that they probably should have won. And, you know, you can, you know, growth is very rarely linear. I think that's one of the the new adages of college football these days. And, you know, UNLV has grown, I think, from year one to year two of the Sanchez era. It just hasn't always shown up in the win column. And the challenge this year is that they are hoping for better health, first of all. But they have bigger question marks that they didn't necessarily have this time a year ago. Such as? What what do you think those are? Well, to me, I think we'll, we'll get into more of that when we start talking about the defense. You know, what you could say about the Rebels, at least going into 2017, is they have some very defined strengths and some weaknesses that, you know, depending on how they shake out, could be the difference between another 4-8 and season and maybe going bowling, if if you're asking me. I don't, I think the line right now, like the win total is at like five and a half. I don't really buy that because... I get they have like very likely the best receiving group in the conference with Devontae Boyd and others, but the running game, like let's get to the offense. I guess Charles Williams, Lexington Thomas, they were, I guess they had a pretty good running attack last year, efficiency wise, but they didn't have like one guy to get them the big running play they needed or big gain. And again, like not to say anything, but you lost to Idaho. That's a pretty yeah, big I mean, deal. But then again, but then again, Idaho would. Well, at the time, I guess maybe losing to Idaho. But, like, they had games like last year where they, like, I guess if you split the Idaho and the uh, Wyoming game, they're they're going to split those regardless at best. But, like, they did go to Hawaii and beat Hawaii, so there's that. But then they lose to San Jose State. You're right at the beginning. They're inconsistent. Inconsistency, it makes them hard to peg. And I, that's why I'm thinking, like, I'll say right now, I'm probably not going to predict them to a bowl record. If you look at or listen back to all of the other shows we've done, probably can figure out my record if you want to do the math on that. But their inconsistency makes them very hard to predict. Because, yeah, they lost to Idaho. They're a bull team. They beat Colorado State last year. But, again, Hawaii victory, loses San Jose State, get creamed by Colorado State, triple overtime to Wyoming. And, but then they also got blown out by 35 points to Nevada. Well, I mean, yes and no. I mean, we've talked, you know, in all of these team previews about, you know, the, the explosive running games in this Mountain West Conference. Like, New Mexico's the obvious one. You know, Air Force, you know, obviously very run heavy. And, you know, San Diego State with Rashard Penny coming back. But, you know, last year, they were like right behind those big three. They ended up 
finishing fourth in the conference with 10 plus running plays or 10 plus yard running plays rather and they were you know right in the middle of the pack in in 20 yard running plays so i think that you know they have that at least going for them the bigger problem which if we want to start talking about the offense is they didn't really have a passing game to speak of last year i mean they did in that they you know they threw 16 touchdowns against just 10 interceptions but if you look at you know passing offenses nationally the only three teams that were worse than UNLE throwing the football were triple option teams air force army and tulane you know UNLV completed 46.9% of its passes and if they want to compete this year they like they have to get better like they probably are going to get better almost by default almost by regression to the mean but it's a question of how much and that's i think when you start talking about the biggest x factor going for this team their new quarterback yeah you got before we get to Rodgers real quick they had issues like i mentioned like they had to they switched quarterbacks multiple times due to injury. They don't need play quarterback, move to wide receiver. Like I said, like I said, it's almost by default they have to be better because they played, I believe, four quarterbacks last year, if I'm correct. No, just three. But like they had Johnny State and Kurt Palandek and Dalton Sneed. Sneed played receiver. The receiving group, yeah, Devontae Boyd, but he had broke his arm late in the year. And so it's like Andrew Price, all these guys got hurt and We'll see what they can do, but let's start with the quarterback. You got Armani Rogers, who is a heralded former Cal commit. <laughs> and when I was on, like, around media days, I chatted with the guys from ESPN Las Vegas. And, like, well, yeah, they got him in there. They weren't hyping him up like the stupid Cam Newton comments, even though he brought him up himself the other day. He's like, yeah, I think I'm kind of like Cam Newton a little bit in my game. I'm like, dude, come on. Slow down the expectations. Mm-hmm. But – and chatting with these guys, I'm like, like, well, he was a Pac-12 recruit. I'm like, well, yeah, Cal. And they tried, they tried to play the Jeff Tedford Cal quarterback card on me. I'm like, really? I'm like, because we know how we, everybody knows how we feel about that. I'm like, yeah. I'm like Aaron Rodgers, and I guess I slipped the mind of Jared Goff. I'm like, mm, sure, yeah, but come on, two guys, really? And so they kind of, I got their point. It's like, oh, you got a guy from the Pac-12 commit come to UNLV, which is a big deal. Oh, right, but. They tried to pump it up, and I responded, like, well, it's not like you're getting a quarterback who's going to, like, Alabama or some more traditional passing school. You got a pretty good guy who was going to Cal, came to UNLV. But everybody's just been on his – everybody wanted him to play last year. And then here's a quote, Henri, because they just had their first scrimmage this past week. By the time you hear this, Coach Sanchez, maybe he shows us immediately that he has a greater grasp than we've even thought – at that point, we'll give him more in the arsenal. Here's my big quote here. You can win with a game manager, but they still have to produce. Okay. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. He, he, that's, right, that's the right mindset Mindset they need to take. And they don't need him to be great either because, like you said, the running, running group coming back is good. They have a great wide receiver core. They bring back, I believe, was it most of the offensive line, I think four starters back from last year. Mm-hmm. The rushing attack was 15th nationally. And so they don't need Rodgers to be like Randall Cunningham. They need him to be better than last year, which really isn't that hard, even for guys who's never played a down post-high school yet. Okay, so I know that we've we, we've probably exhausted the uh, the Cam Newton jokes by this point. <laughs> Carmani need Rodgers? 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I like before we we recorded this podcast, I went through and I tried to find someone that I felt was analogous to Roger stepping into this situation in Vegas this year. So I went back, you know, season by season through the Mountain West, and I found someone that I think ended up being a really interesting comp. And I want your thoughts on this. So how are you comparing him? Like coming in as a first-time starter or like heralded high school recruits? Like what was your qualification for that? Well, I mean, all I really had to go on was the results. Okay. And so, but I was trying to, you know, not only look at how, you know, young quarterbacks have performed over the past handful of years, but also trying to look for like similar situations and what I ended up stumbling upon was 20, 2011, when Wyoming ran out a redshirt freshman quarterback named Brett Smith. Brett Smith? Oh. And if you don't have the tab in front of you, or if you don't remember what he did, he ended up completing 61% of his passes that year. Had about 2,600 passing yards, 20 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. And, you know, not only that, but he had four different receivers that year three of which were underclassmen who caught between 35 and 45 passes. So they didn't necessarily have one guy who stood out, but they had a handful of guys who all contributed. And, you know, not only was Smith able to produce as a passer, he was able to produce as a runner as well. I believe I'm trying to look it up right now as I'm talking. I, I have it right here in 2011, 710 yards, 10 touchdowns. If Rogers can approach those numbers... Not necessarily match them. First of all, I guess I should ask: Do you think he can do that, considering everything I would say, going on around him? I would say no, because he has two good running backs to give the ball to, and so there's no. Even though he's a dual threat guy, I don't think I can see maybe like 400 yards. 700 is quite a bit for a quarterback. And with who the, who the Rebels have back there running the ball, there's no need for him to do like play action or zone reads to take off on his own. And couple that with the good receiving groups they have, he's probably, depending on how patient he is in the pocket, because, it, again, it's his first time playing FBS, just because he registered last year, I don't, unless he decides to take off more often than he should, I just don't think, no, I don't think he'll get anywhere near that. I'd say 400 yards would be a good barometer for him. So how about as a passer then? I don't know, man. I haven't with again with the receiving group they have, he has a chance to be pretty good. But all my benchmark is do be better than last year. So if he goes fifty percent and then goes say eighteen and eight touchdown interceptions, that's better. But just for me, just don't be worse than last year. And I'm pretty sure he can be better than last year. And again, a lot of it was multiple quarterbacks, new receiving every new receivers every other week. And so I, yeah, I. Give me 2,000 yards and 50% minimum, and I would say that'd be okay for me. See, I think with, with all the hype that's around him, you know, if all you can get is a 50% completion rate, that's still, you know, taking everybody else into account and in what they did throwing the ball last year. That's still a massive disappointment because you're still behind New Mexico and only ahead of Air Force with regards to completion rates. I'm... I don't know. I think the more I read about him and the more I've seen, you know, of the video that I've, I've managed to, you know, scrape off YouTube and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. 
maybe I'm starting to be a little more bullish on his chances to be pretty good this year. Like, even if he doesn't crack 60%, if he can get to, I don't know, 57 58% with 18-8, and eight, that's going to make UNLV a really dangerous team. Well, I just going off, like, baseline, like, he, I just think he can't be worse than last year what they had. I, I think he could do better than 50% in 2,000 yards, but I'd say, like, what I probably could do with the receivers coming back, like Boyd could catch anything, and everybody else back there, the receivers, I would like to think, if he's going to, okay, here, let me say this, because the hype's way out there for a lot of people. Um, maybe I'm reversing the other way too much, but I think for a guy make it being a redshirt freshman, coming in to start for a program that's not very good, but they have returning talent around them, and they play in a weak division with only really, what, one and a half good defenses? Maybe two if you combine San Jose State and Hawaii a little bit, like maybe two and a half defenses that are anything special. I think I'm with you. If he can get to do – basically, if he could do a – look at Josh Allen last year. If he could do what Josh Allen almost did, maybe not the yardage-wise, but 56%, give me – what 2,500 yards, 20 touchdowns, and seven interceptions? That'd be really good. 20 TDs. That would put him about what Christian Chapman was last year, except for the yardage would be higher. I was gonna say if he could do because he could do what Josh Allen did last year, they'd give San Diego State a run for their money. Well, I just meant like completion percentage wise, really, not necessarily overall. I I peeking at the yards, I'm like wait, that's too much. But if he can do, let's put it this way, it's lower down. Sanchez mentioned game manager. They have a good running attack. So does San Diego State. They actually have better receivers than San Diego State. If he does what Christian Chapman did last year, which was 61%, 1994 yards, just under 2,000, 20 and 6, would that be enough for Rebel fans to be okay with? I mean, I think if I were a Rebels fan, I'd be ecstatic with that kind of production. Yeah, very few interceptions. Uh, move the ball just enough. Not amazing, but you know, like I said, you're efficient with the ball. And I think that's where I that's where I think he should be. If he can get about that range, twenty TDs might be a bit too much, but if he can get to two thousand yards and sixty percent, that'd be probably a, well, that'd be really good in my opinion if he were to do that in year one. Because retro freshmen, how good are they really being a quarterback? It's like coming in and being the guy right away. That's tough to do for any. It doesn't matter if you're in the Mountain West or any conference. That's difficult to do. And we've already kind of talked about it a little bit, but he's stepping into a really good situation with at least two guys behind him in Charles Williams and Lexington Thomas who are pretty good in their own right. You know, to me, I think the question with the running game is, you know, there's a lot of explosiveness there, but can they be a little more consistent? Because if you go back and look through game logs of last year, you know, Lexington Thomas was basically, you know, the guy you know, early in the season, he ended up having, I think, 400-yard games in the first seven games. And then, you know, down the stretch in October and November, like, he didn't play in a couple of games. And in the games he did play, he only had a handful of carries and didn't do much with them. You know, flip it, you know, flip it with Williams, who was fairly quiet early and ended up being a little more productive late. You know, he had a couple of games where... You know, he struggled a little bit. Like he struggled against San Diego State and he struggled against Boise State, which I think are probably not that surprising. Yeah, but also Nevada, forty-eight yards. That's it. Come on. No, well, yeah, but he only had nine carries. He's averaged five yards a carry in that game. Well, then what so, happened that game? I want to look because you had Tom Thomas with only four carries and the loss to Nevada. I guess you're losing thirty-five points, so you're really just going to chuck it. 
So I think, you know, to me, the big question is, yes, they have we have these two guys. We know they're explosive, but can they be consistent or can they be, you know, efficient in the same way? Because if you look at, you know, football study hall, if you go to Bill Connolly's advanced profile, this team, you know, they were just outside the top 30 in explosiveness as an offense, but they were in the 80s with regards to efficiency and you know, I think if you're looking for an area of an improvement with this team, that's where it's going to be. Here's an area I'm already people are going to already claim for me to be the downer, and I'm going to going to play that role for this moment, talking about the rushing game. Okay. Okay. They played three quarterbacks last year: Staten, Palandek, and Snead. Mm-hmm. Look at their rushing numbers: Palandek. Those three guys combined for almost a thousand yards last year. About just about nine hundred yards from three quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. That is more than Williams and Thomas each. And Palandek had five touchdowns. And their yards per carry were much better than both those running backs. Yes, fewer attempts, which can skew that, especially when Snead had that 90-yard run. Palandek had that big 76-yard TD run in the year. Are they going to... I, it depends. what the, it's, it's kind of weird to compare it, but that's 900 yards they need to make up with. And already, in my opinion, I think Rodgers might make up 400 of those. Is that just, maybe that's part of like, Hey, their offense was like Sanchez mentioned. They're 15th and efficient running the ball efficiently last year. A lot of that has to do with all that quarterback running yardage, which not wasn't necessarily designed quarterback runs. Well, I mean, my guess is, you know, they won't necessarily need the quarterback to do as much with his legs, you know, not only because, I would expect Williams and Thomas, if they're healthy, to each crack 150 carries at least, which neither of them did last year. But, you know, you've also got guys back there like Xavier Campbell, who only had 49 carries, and he averaged almost five yards a carry, too. It's not necessarily all about one guy in that backfield. They have three guys who I think, you know, if they need to lean on them a little bit from drive to drive, they'll all be pretty good, I think. Yeah, I know. I just look at through like, why were they so efficient when that? Because the raw numbers, Thomas and uh, Williams weren't amazing. Seven hundred sixty-three yards and six hundred forty-two yards. It's nothing great. So I was just kind of looking around, like, why were they that considered to be that efficient? And it doesn't really matter how you get the yards; they got the yards. And so I was just looking through, like, why were they considered that efficient? Because overall, like you're right, over five point six yards per carry, which was what fourth in the Mountain West last year. So they got the yards. It doesn't really matter how they got it. It just happened to be spread out more than, like you said, they don't really have the one to. They, they want these guys to be the guy this year with Thompson or Thomas and Williams. Yeah. All right. So let's, we do we need how much receiver talk do we need do we need to get into? Devontae Boyd's really good, right? <laughs> he is really good if he can be healthy. Well, like broken arms, kind of awkward. Yeah, to, I mean, and that's like and it's, it's not like a lingering kind of injury, like a hamstring or anything like that. It's you know, it's a fluke. I expect him to be fully healthy by the time the season actually rolls around. But you know, well, at the we're really quick at this time. They're one week in the camp. He's just now full practice. Missed out on all spring, most mostly. And Rebels at this point, what August seventh, we're recording this. They had one pad of practice, and he was a participated pretty much fully almost fully so there's he's getting there i guess or maybe they're being overly cautious yeah and that's what i'm saying like you know if he's healthy he's going to be huge for this team 
because and then not only well, yeah. because he's their most experienced receiver, but he's probably their biggest play guy. You know, in the games that he played last year, he only had 45 catches, but he had over 16 yards of catch. You know, to me, I think it's going to be a matter of, you know, can he raise that catch rate just a little bit? Because back in 2015, it was right around 51%. Last year, it was at, you know, 53 and a half. You know, if he can inch that up a little bit more, you know, that's, you know, one or two extra first downs per game. You know, and if he's going to live up to the hype that I think we've all placed around him the last couple of years, you know, that's what I would expect to see of your number one guy. Would you take him over Michael Gallup? No. Okay, just making sure. All right, one guy they're getting back as well, Kendall Keys. He missed all of last year with a season-ending knee injury, suffered last August. And he had, if you look at his production from 2015 to now, or compared to 16 to uh, Boyd there, they basically had identical numbers in catching the ball. Getting him back, and then you got Mick, Mickey Stevenson, who had doesn't get us over a dozen catches. And even people love Darren Woods Jr. as well. They don't really have a tight end, maybe uh, Trevor Cantman, but like you said, it's a receiving group. It's deep, and if Keys is as good as he was before with him and Boyd, I like who's a better combination of wide receiving group? Because Wyoming lost Tanner Gentry, Boyce lost Thomas Burback. San Diego State, who knows? Just because it's San Diego State, they don't pass a ton. Utah State lost Rayshad Lewis. New Mexico doesn't pass the ball very much. Um, who else am I missing there? Rams have really just the one guy, Gallup. Uh, Hawaii lost Marcus Kemp. They have, uh, who's it, John Ursay. So is this really the best one-two receiving group or top three guys in the conference, maybe? You forgot about Fresno State. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you I just read off the no, I mentioned Boise. They okay, lost yeah. to Thomas Spurback. Oh, well, yeah, but they still have Cedric Wilson and a bunch of other guys who would probably be pretty fine. But, True. I mean, I'm... Like Boyd, though, you know, you have other guys who theoretically have a lot of potential. And, I mean, I think that that, to me, is the big difference. Like, you know, they could be the best, but the operative word is could. Because not only Boyd that needs to stay healthy, I wish I had the the thing in front of me of all the guys who missed time last year besides Boyd and Keyes you know oh Brandon Presley for example mm-hmm. broke his foot in the season opener Darren Woods you know hurt his knee in the middle of last year if those guys are healthy you know you're talking about a rotation that yeah is potentially going to be dangerous where you know the Rebels are going to have one guy that opposing defenses can key on but it's a big if yeah, and that'll help Rodgers as well because if he – because it's not going to be – well, he's probably going to key on Boyd quite a bit because any quarterback would. But um, with having multiple options, he's going to – assuming he learns to throw the right way and be patient, he'll have plenty of guys to throw to. And then going to the offensive line, this is probably one of the more experienced offensive lines. They bring back – yeah, they lost uh, Will Kreitler last year. But if you look what they have back, they bring back four starters – Honorable mention um, in uh, Nathan Jacobson. And they have five guys who started at least 10 games in their career. That's true. And, I mean, I think that with the offensive line, it's going to be really key for them to stay healthy. They had a lot of good fortune in that regard last year. And I think because they have a couple of guys who are still recovering from injuries, like Sid Acosta, I believe, is slated to start at center 
you know, replacing Kreitler. But, you know, during the fall camp, they've had Jondre Sanders playing a little bit there. They've had Zach Singer playing a little bit there at center. So, you know, it's a positive that they'll have some flexibility, but the guys that they have behind those starters don't have a lot of game day experience. You know, you're talking about, you know, guys like Matt Brayton and Julio Garcia who, you know, have a little bit of pedigree behind them but not a lot of game experience. And they're young guys who... Are you know I would expect them to maybe have a little bit of trouble if they're in a situation where they have to step in at some point. So it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, whether this unit can stay healthy, because like a guy like Garcia, for instance, was a former three-star guy, but I don't know exactly how much they they want to count on him this year. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, you look at that too. Like career starts. It's pretty thin after those guys. And we'll see. But they also have size. Like, even the guys, if they do need to go to the bench a little bit, like look at Zach Singer, 6'2", 320, a junior. They have a lot of guys well over 300 pounds. Like the smallest guy is what, Donovan Outlaw, 6'4", 290. He's still 6'4", though. He still takes up space. He's not like 6'1", 290. So that's something, too. If they need to go to those guys, they have a couple upperclassmen, and they're – the size is there to uh, just be out there and push somebody over. And, you know, one other thing that I think relates to both this offensive line and to Rodgers, you know, one thing that I would watch for is, you know, how good is Rodgers going to be at evading the pass rush? Because even with the quarterback shuffle that they had going on last year, UNLV was one of the best teams in the country at pass protection. And, you know, some of that had to do with quarterback mobility, but they only gave up 10 sacks last year. So I'll be interested to see, you know, if Rodgers has that, you know, internal clock that a lot of people refer to, where if something's not there to get rid of the ball. Like, is he going to be closer to where Johnny Stanton was, where he had a sack rate under 2%, which is excellent? Or is he going to be closer to Kurt Palandek, who had just under 100 attempts and had about a 5% sack rate. So what do you attribute that to? The offensive line or those guys running well? Well, that's because what I'm saying. Like I, think of, I think it's a little bit of both. And if this is you know the year where they're transitioning to their guy, it's going to be interesting to see if Rodgers can you know, keep that a relative strength. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, I think the offensive... Man, maybe my... My prediction was not pretty good for what they have coming back, but I've already made it, so it's good at defense. Okay. Maybe I, but I think the defense is where my where my my pessimism because it comes in, be pessimistic because they lose a lot of players on defense. They lose four of their top five defensive linemen, their top three linebackers, and three of their top four guys in the secondary. However, Mike Hughes is pretty good. Last I heard, right? Last I heard too. He's on our top 50 countdown. Wasn't he? Uh, he's already been mentioned, like, what, 38 or something, I believe? Uh, he was in the 40s. 40s, okay. But that's their big issue. Like, their defense wasn't great last year, and they lose a lot of people. They do get players back who played. Like, when you look at, like, uh, Solano, Alo, Willie, or Mike Mark Finau, they have guys who play double-digit games and multiple others at the defensive line that could step in, but... Production overall, these guys are getting four tackles, nine tackles, three tackles who are returning. Linebacking group loses well over 100 tackles. Mm-hmm. That's the big mystery, I think, because you know you have a guy in the middle in Hughes who's going to be pretty good. 
there's a question mark about literally everybody else in the front side. <laughs> yes, literally. I don't know. It's uh, I should pull up the depth chart if they have one, but there's, I, there's some guys like talent wise, like they have David Tate Jr. He looks like he's their highest recruited player, redshirt freshman. So maybe he'll step in at linebacker, and then you also got like guys like Farrell Hester, true freshman. I don't know how much he'll play, but like their recruiting rating is the highest amongst that position group. So maybe recruiting efforts have improved just enough. But yeah, I think they're going to need to outscore people, and I don't know if they can. I mean, I think that it's interesting because even though they're losing a lot, the guys that they're replacing them with you know, have experience in the system. Like, you know, Jason Fowle, who's going to be lining up next to Hughes in the trenches. You know, he's a senior. He's been here for a couple of years. Same thing with Mark Fennell. Same thing with middle linebacker Brian Keyes. You know, they may not have the same level of pedigree that some of their other recruits have had, but they do have experience. And even though they're losing tackling machines like Ryan McAleenan and Taolo Tulele, you know, are those guys going to be able to be better because you know yeah they racked up a lot of tackles last year but at the same time you know if there was a weakness to this defense it was probably in that front seven and especially when it came to you know defending against the run where you know they averaged you know 4.63 yards per carry I would say, like, looking overall, like, a little too little is your biggest loss, clearly, because he had nearly, what, 17 TFLs. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a point, like, if you look at last year they played in the points they allowed, like, even when you look at the triple overtime game, there are still, you still got to 60-plus points. You got 50-something in regulation. They gave up, was it, 45 to a bad Nevada team. They gave up, let's see here, um, Hawaii's pretty good, but 42, they gave up 30 to... San Jose State and San Jose State wasn't good last year. They gave up way too many points, and I don't see them being better. 44 to Central Michigan last year, 42 to UCLA. I don't know how they're going to be better. It's And I don't think their offense is good enough to outscore everybody each week. Well, and they may not be good enough to outscore everybody. You know, I think that there are some offenses that will probably struggle that are on the schedule. You know, one thing that I didn't think to mention until right now, which I think affects both sides of the football, is field position. And if you look at what they did, especially on defense, opponents were starting at around the 32-yard line on average last year, which, you know, ranked 115th in the country. If they can get that back at least to the national average, which I assume is probably another four or five yards backwards, even that in itself could be really significant. Yeah, because, yeah, if you get a couple yards, because how many times do kickers miss a field goal? It's all, it's a 42-yarder. Have they been at 38, 37, 39 yards? They could have made it. Yeah. And then we talked, we talked about Boise State um, last year a lot, where they had one of the worst field positions. And who knows that air force game where they got stuck at the one or two that wouldn't have happened had they had that extra couple yardage on a kick return or whatever the possession was mm-hmm. I, it, yeah special teams will be an issue but i'm just so down in the defense it takes away any optimism i have on their offensive side of the ball maybe those upperclassmen you're right they'll come in they finally get a chance to start but when has unlv's depth ever really been anything special or good i mean i think one thing you can say you know is you know it's hard to glean too much into recruiting ratings, 
but I think it does help that some of those guys who are stepping into more prominent roles this year were you know among the wealth of three-star recruits that Tony Sanchez has been able to bring in the last couple of years uh, you know Salanoa Alawili was a three-star recruit back in 2015 so was Fao um I'm trying to look for other guys. <laughs> uh, we have like, like I mentioned before, David Tate Jr. was a three-star guy. Um, yeah. You know, Brian Keyes was a two-star guy, but he was a JUCO guy coming in. So, you know, not a huge deal. And, you know, even among, you know, the, the true freshmen that could, you know, sneak into the two deep with a really good fall camp, you know, Farrell Hester was a three-star guy, for instance. I think that's going to be fine. To me, the bigger questions are in the secondary. And, you know, I feel like I've beat this drum for any number of teams in the conference. But they're losing pretty much everybody from last year. And while they do have some interesting pieces coming into play, you know, are they going to be able to stop the pass? That, I think, is the biggest question facing this defense. Well, luckily for them, they play in the West Division, and there's not a ton. Depending on what Fresno does, like who's really going to throw the ball? Hawaii a little bit, but San Jose State, nothing special. San Diego State's probably going to run the ball, clearly. I guess Nevada, because they're going, well, maybe I discounted myself, but maybe proven passing games are what I'm getting at here with these teams. But it is, it's still a big loss. You lose that much talent. But I think, going back to what you said before, guys stepping in or have been with the program for at least two-plus years. Like Dalton Baker or Tim Howe are all going to be juniors, and they played last year. And the guys who are coming back, they still have a lot of experience who at least played. Yeah, their production may not be there, but they've all played in game time. And that's a big. That's more than what you could say about that defensive line, or excuse me, the linebacking group after a couple of guys. So it's just like, what's your what's your theory? Like, yeah, they have guys who played, but they're not starters. But it's also not the best talent in the world either. I think to me, the big difference between the front seven and the guys in the defensive backfield, you know, you have, yeah, you do have a couple of guys who are upperclassmen, Dalton Baker, like you mentioned, you know, Chauncey Sism, who transferred in from Syracuse for a year. But they have a lot of young guys who could be stepping into big roles. And, you know, it takes time for, you know, cornerbacks and safeties to really get their feet wet on this level. So while there is a lot of promise, you know, there's plenty of capacity, I think, for a trial by fire with this particular unit, like Evan Austry or Javin White or Sism at Strong Safety, for instance, you know, or, you know, Dalton Baker or Sism at Free Safety or at Cornerback, you know, you have some, you know, Tim Huff or Jericho Flowers. They're going to have to identify those guys, first of all, but then... You know, there's a very high likelihood that they'll have to stick with those guys and see what they can do. You know, especially if, as you say, you know, there's a lot of passing games that aren't, or rather, excuse me, there are a lot of passing attacks on their schedule which aren't great. But like, how much is too much when it comes to getting burned? Yeah, we'll see. It's. Uh... I just question their defense overall. Like maybe they'll put it together, but that's what I'm gonna look for. I think the offense will be fine, but I don't know if they could score 35 plus points per game. To, but they may not have to again because we'll get to the schedule in a minute. Like San Jose State, okay, um, Utah State probably not gonna put a lot of points. Fresno State, um, Nevada, they may not all put up a lot of points, so maybe they don't need the offense to be or the defense to be ex- or 
sorry, the offense to be overly explosive to to make up for what the defense can't do. And so maybe their schedule plays into that hand. It's not a big deal that their defense isn't great because the offenses they're facing are likely not to be like above average for the for half the schedule. I mean, I think one other thing to keep in mind is that you know last year as a unit they only had five interceptions which was tied for the fewest in the Mountain West. And, you know, when you look at that compared to what they were able to do with Havoc rate, which, you know, if you haven't gone to football study hall, it's basically um, tackles for loss plus pass defenses plus interceptions plus, you know, basically successful plays by defenders. You know, even though they have only had five interceptions last year as a team, they finished 14th in the country in Havoc rate among their defensive backs. So it's going to be interesting, I think, to see where this unit falls this year because I don't think they're going to be as good at defending passes as they were last year because, you know, they're losing a guy like Tory McTire to graduation and, you know, a guy like Darius Mouton who moved on from the program after spring. You know, losing that kind of production is going to be really difficult to replace. All right, so... Anything on special teams when you get to? Because I think we're exhausted what we're going to talk about on defense I think you're right. here. On to yeah, the schedule. Before we do that, let's take a, a quick break here. Something blares in my ear. Sorry about that. But we'll be back here in just a second to get to the Rebel schedule. And if you're smarty pants, you can figure out what where we picked. But, yeah, here we go. Schedule time. You ready to talk schedule, Matt? It. All right, so we're talking schedule here. Rebels uh, open up with a victory against Howard. Is this going to be a year? Because Tony Sanchez has taken the wood to FCS teams week one. He put up 63 last year versus Jackson State. And then year one against um, Idaho State. Not week one, but year one. 80-8. to eight. Is it going to be a similar performance? I don't see why, I don't see why it Howard be. Where is Howard located? Is it, the, uh, is it in D.C.? Yes. Okay, so I figured it's the Howard. Is it Bison or Bison? Because you got the North Dakota State Bison. That's a really good question. And you got and you have the Bucknell Bison. If you're if you're a Howard alumnus, please let us know. <laughs> yes, let us know. All right, that's a victory. Then they go to Idaho, Kibbe Dome. This is the farewell farewell tour for the Idaho Vandals at the FBS level, and they won last year. This game, it's a Saturday ESPN three kickoff. Uh, September 9th. Where do you know where the Vandals were supposed to be? Were they predicted in the Sun Belt? Not, not off the top of my of head. I do not know. I'll look at a magazine here real quick, but they want payback for losing to a team they probably shouldn't have lost to. They're actually predicted, if you go by like the Athlon, Street and Smith, Lindy, and all those guys, middle of the pack. Highest was four. Uh, one, one publication had them 10th, but basically seventh overall in the Sun Belt. This should be a win because, here's the thing, this used to be or probably still sort of is two teams that aren't very good historically, but Idaho went to a bowl game last year. They beat Colorado State, and they also beat UNLV at home. And so we should say Rebels, but should we that confidently? This is, like I said at the very beginning of the show, this was one of those games last year. UNLV should not have lost this game. Because they held Idaho under 50% passing. They had three sacks. Idaho had had zero. 
Um, you know, on the flip side, you know, UNLV had two turnovers. Their average starting field position was 10 yards worse than Idaho's on average. It was just one of the, uh, you know, weird confluence of events that allowed the Vandals to get away with one. And if I'm UNLV, you know, I'm motivated and I don't think that the Vandals are as good as they appeared to be, especially at the end of last year. So I'm kind of expecting UNLV, like, you know, if they are for real this year, this is a game that they should win comfortably. Well, the win probability favors the Vandals 54% to 46%. Yeah. It's at home. And then a couple things to consider. They do bring back, like, Matt Lenahan's a decent quarterback. They bring back their top top quarterback, top rusher. They lose a couple of their top receivers who are both tight ends. And they bring back half their offensive line, almost half. So this will, this will be a test of defense with Linehan if he could find uh, whoever's going to catch the ball for him. They have a good amount. Like their top receiver back is Alfonso Onuor, I want to say, question mark. Onuor. <laughs> so Onuor, sure, I'll go that way. But – this could be a game where Rebel Secondary comes into play early on, how well they're going to do. I predict the UNLV victory because I think they have a bit more together offensively, and it's Idaho. And, and this seems like know. the kind of game that UNLV should be able to play to their strengths, like if especially if they're easing Rodgers into you know, the entire playbook. You know, This is a Vandals team that's replacing four of its top five people up front. And, you know, if you're looking to get yeah. Williams and Thomas into the flow early, this is pretty good, pretty yeah, good defense they, to do it against. And then also really quick, they lose their top two safeties last year. And the guy, they do have guys returning, but they sat out last year. So technically, well, not technically, but their top two safeties are out or gone. Then you have their other two safeties and cornerbacks didn't play last year. So secondary, maybe it's good. Maybe it's not because guys set out with injuries. So, I'm st- even with that, um, I, st- I still think you and Elise going to get a victory. Then they get they get off week. That's a victory. Then they go to That's Ohio State. <sighs> what would constitute as a, hey, we did okay versus Ohio State? Get to double-digit scoring. Okay. Would it be what Hawaii did a couple years ago where it was uh, only like, four, I think, 14-0 at halftime or something? That was a really weird game. But, I mean, I think if you're a UNLV fan, you would probably take that. Yeah, I just remember every time Hawaii got the ball, they couldn't do anything, but their defense actually slowed down. Braxton Miller, whoever was a quarterback back in the day a couple years ago. But, yeah, if they get to 13 points, that'd be nice, right? I think so. (laughs) We'll see how that goes. I have no clue. But it's a loss for sure. So then they go – then they kind of ease back into it. They get San Jose State at home. I'm going to victory because they're at home and San Jose State, they have a decent secondary running attack. We'll see what's there. Josh Love is probably the quarterback at this point, but I would say with the talent, I'd say Spartans, a uh, new head coach, and we heard before what we said the Spartans show, but I think UNLV has his main. Okay, I'll give you my main reason. I still don't trust the uh, San Jose State rushing defense. I'll just go to the good old hits, right? Well, I mean, I think it's fair. That was something that we talked about in that particular podcast. Like, they do have a couple of you know pretty solid guys coming back. But again, I think this is a matchup that 
plays to UNLV's strengths. Like, they want to be able to run the ball. And, you know, this was a game that was pretty close last year. And you could make the argument this was another one of those games that they maybe shouldn't have lost. It was, you know, not the best performance by either Dalton Sneed or Kurt Palenbeck. And if Rodgers is better than those two guys, you know, I expect the Spartans to be able to put up a fight, but I would expect UNLV to come up with a win. I would also say the receiving group is, even though it's the secondary there in San Jose is always pretty good and is good, they have the receivers to match it for UNLV, so it won't be as big as an advantage as it normally might be for yeah. the Spartans. But I get a victory. Then they go to uh, they stick in West Division play. They now they stay home. Excuse me, San Diego State. It's good. I have it as a mm-hmm. loss, but after going through like what San Diego State is coming back, who's doing what, I'm wondering because at media days there's no Mountain West or San Diego State had no mount player on the Mountain West first team mm-hmm. defense, even though we know the defense is good. I'm wondering with the weapons UNLV has. Could this be some sort of surprise game where they get at San Diego State early? Devontae Boyd's long touchdown run or Lexington Thomas has some sort of a big play to get them going early on. I might be leaning. I don't know why, but San Diego State would look at South Alabama playing Cal. When teams go three, four wide passing that way, they struggle to stop that type of passing attack. I would I mean, I, I can see that point. You know, the only thing I would say is that UNLV could not possibly play any worse than they did in this game last year. <laughs> like, I remember watching most of that game, and it was pretty miserable if you were a Rebels fan. And, you know, some of that had to do with the chaos under center. Again, and if you eliminate that variable, yeah. the Rebels should be more competitive. But again, you know, with the questions around this defense, I just wonder if they're going to be able to slow down what the Azte- what we know the Aztecs are going to want to do, which is, you know, run the ball and try and hit on the occasional play action. The sleeper hold. That's what they're going to do to you. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So that's a loss. Uh, then they go to Air Force. I, even though Air Force loses all that on on defense, I would still take Falcons to be more efficient, to be less. Because we, we go off what UNLV's done before. They've made mistakes and turned the ball over. They've goofy losses like Idaho. But Air Force is so disciplined. Their offense is just a machine and will eat apart whatever Rebels bring them bring from the linebacker or defensive line or even if the secondary comes up. I just Air Force is more efficient, and they have the better player in Aaron Worthman if you go quarterback-wise, even running back-wise. It's probably well more running backs more even, but quarterback edge to Worthman. I just don't see the Rebel defense slowing this team down at all because Air Force always gets their yards, and UNLV seems to historically um, make mistakes on defense. And their defense has never really been that great either. So This strikes me as a first-to-40 kind of thing. You think so? Well, I could see that. I think both of these teams are going to be able to get chunks of yardage against these defenses. But I trust Air Force's efficiency a little bit more than I trust UNLV's. So I have this one as an Air Force win. Oh, as as we should. So did you know last time they played, it was a pretty big uh, blowout, 48-41 back in 2014. Because this is the uh, rotation mm-hmm. game that they've missed the Falcons for the past couple of years. So even with that, it's 
Probably even more so because they haven't seen the triple option in a couple of years. That's so true. That's always a weird, weird. There you go. That's uh, that's why I'm going blowout for. All right, next game they play Utah State, and I'm not real confident in Utah State really, just because they were pretty bad last year. Well, three wins is not good, despite how close they were. I will say this: I think this could be like a, a kind of a drag them out game a little bit because for the Aggies, as you heard in our prior show, the running game is an issue because with uh, they have Tony Lindsay, Lawan Hunt taking over for Devonte Mays. If those guys do well, this should be an Aggie victory. But I think that's what they're going to do a lot, hand the ball off, even though they have Kent Myers back there. But this game's confusing to me because I don't think either team's really that good. And so it's kind of like one of those games like, oh, it's a 21-16 to 16 game. Cool. I don't care who won. Well, if you listened to our Utah State podcast, you know I'm a little more optimistic about the Aggies' defense than Jeremy is. Yep, that's me. So, I feel like that's going to be the difference in this game. And I had this one as a U- as a UNLV loss. You do, do you? Yes. Well, so do I. So, <laughs> UNLV loss as well. Um, I I, tr- I I I am down on Utah State a bit, but I think I'm more down on. I think there's a stink of UNLV always being bad. So I'm probably always going. I think erring to the side of them losing more often than winning is probably a safe bet. So. If, if they're going to win, it's going to be because that defense Utah State hasn't recovered again, but I think it sort of will. Mm-hmm. But it, there's going to be a lot of points. It's probably be an ugly game. I think this could – what was the game you mentioned earlier that was a pretty terrible game? UNLV and – was it San Jose State you mentioned? San, well, they played their worst game last year against San Diego State. Maybe that was it. I don't think it would be like that, but I think it will be just kind of a bland game, and maybe it's one of those games we think that, but it will be really exciting. But I, it's the Rebels. Come on. Is that a good, that's not a good excuse or good analysis, but Utah State, I think they're they're gonna be fine and take care of business. Okay. And for Rebel fans, they probably don't want to hear the rest of the show on my end, but keep listening, please. I appreciate it for my further <laughs> predictions. They go to Fresno State next week, the week after. And one quick thing to note about Rebel schedule, part of the reason I'm kind of down on them after that Idaho game, that bye, they played ten straight games, which is uh, never good. So they go to Fresno State, and we may Fresno may have a new quarterback at this point. They might because there is um. Should we just mention that now? I guess that might be happening. Well, it will have already happened one way or the other by the time he's being lands. Good point. They may have a new quarterback, not named Chase and Virgil. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> if you listen to our buddy Josh Webb, he does not like Chase and Virgil one bit. But they might. Okay, let's say this: they might be getting a new quarterback in town. Is okay. that fair to say? Yeah. And Fresno wasn't good last year. And you, you know that firsthand. Mm-hmm. They won yeah, one game. <laughs> this is one of the two games I have Fresno State winning. And see, I have UNLV winning this game. Why do you hate your team? <laughs> because, I mean, I, I, I've said this in our, in our Fresno State podcast. You know, I think the offense will be better by default. But I think the defense is going to regress. And, you know, I think that the weaknesses that the Bulldogs have up front is pretty ideal for UNLV and its running game. So, to me, I kind of see it playing pretty similar to how it played out last year, maybe with with fewer 90-yard running plays involved. That makes sense, because if you look at 
Fresno's rush defense. And then also, could this be a game where UNLV's the other side of the ball, defensive line gets sacks because you were not a fan and nobody was a fan of especially Jason Virgil or Dante O'Neill trying to run the ball to get past line of scrimmage. So this could be a game, that's kind of what I'm thinking, is that the offensive line is so bad or was so bad. It's just, you'd hopefully, we'd hope it would be better, but I think UNLV actually might have an edge against one of these teams, and that could be it where they get to Virgil or whoever is slinging the ball for them, and that's part of the reason. And I like the UNLV offense a bit more than what Fresno can do offensively because last year they weren't very good. They got Jeff Tedford, new coach, doing different things. I know at this point we'll know what they are, but – UNLV has, like I said, I like we like their offense quite a bit, and I think even though it's a road game, I don't think it'll matter too much. They're not gonna. It's not like UNLV's head and shoulders above Fresno, but I think they're enough, uh, well, better than them to win. Sure, win maybe. Yeah, I'm not too confident as you can tell, folks, in this one. <laughs> All right. So if you're hedging, maybe listen to Matt instead of me. I don't know. They they play Hawaii the famed Hawaiian Cowboy Trophy on the line in this game, which I believe we discussed last time. Are talking about Wyoming right now? Oh, dang it. The the Ninth Island game. I had had to... You know what I'll blame it on? Can I blame it on USA Today and them tweeting out Central Florida Wyoming logo I was staring at just now? You can absolutely blame it on that. I was staring at that because I'm like, that's kind of funny. Did you see that today? I did. (laughs) I'll blame it on that. I meant to, well, whatever. Yeah, the Ninth Island game, it's kind of the same thing with Wyoming. I mean, they're a rival despite not being in the conference forever, but they get Hawaii in town, and it is, but Hawaii's way better. Hawaii's just clearly the second best team in the division here, Western side. And Drew Brown, better than Armani Rogers. Um, St. Juice, better than probably what UNLV has running the ball. And defensively, Hawaii, they're excited about what they have coming back. And. Again, I side with UNLV not being good historically to what part of the reason why I won't pick them to win. See, I see this game playing out kind of similarly to the Air Force game, where I think both of these offenses are going to be able to you know, make plays. But I trust Hawaii's defense just a little bit more than I trust UNLV's defense at this point. And I mean, let's not, for, and let's not forget that UNLV went to the islands and won this game last year. So it's, it's not as though it's inconceivable that they could do it again. But I have Hawaii winning a close one. Yeah, I think Hawaii will get it as well. Being on the road is always difficult for Hawaii. But, again, they play UNLV forever. And Hawaii's improving. Like, remember last year they beat Air Force at in Colorado Springs in overtime. So they've got some more wins on the mainland. And overall, just Hawaii has more talent. That's plain and simple. And I'll go that way for why I'm going to think it's going to be a win. I think... Here's the thing, UNLV, because UNLV last year, remember, the Wyoming game kind of makes it kind of weird of what you think of UNLV. Because there's triple overtime where they beat Wyoming at home. But then, like I said, they have games where they don't score many points. They lose to Nevada. So there's always a chance UNLV can do something special. Maybe it's that game. I don't know. But it's I, – I, I'm not going to predict them to win any game like that because who would have predicted, predicted them to beat Wyoming last year? And that's what I'm saying. And my my best guess right now is that Hawaii wins a one-score game because I think it'll be pretty close. All right, next week, they uh, it's a Friday night game. They host BYU non-conference matchup. And it'll probably be a good 30% of this uh, crowd, even though it's a Friday night game, will be BYU fans. Or what it will really be, be is that uh, people from Las Vegas who 
or of the uh, faith at BYU will be wearing their BYU, um, what is it, uh, Cougar Blue or whatever in this matchup. So mm-hmm. it's, it's like no big deal. It's like, oh, Wisconsin coming to town. We'll take over 80% of your stadium. This will be like that. And so there will be no very little fan base behind them, or at least 50-50. And, well, shouldn't be disrespectful to say little, but there'll be a good crowd contingency in this game. And we've talked about BYU a ton because they play Utah State. They play Hawaii. They play uh, – San Jose, they play. They play Fresno this year. Is that right? Yeah. They play. They play half the league, and so you've heard what I've had to say, what you've had to say about it. And BYU has more talent, and they'll get. They'll. They're going to be victorious because they have a really good defense. And I would be shocked if UNLV can like score more than twenty points against this BYU defense. Yeah, I'm not kind of with you on that one. Like, the BYU offense, I'm not super high on right now besides their offensive line and a yeah, good quarterback at Tanner Mangum. But if you heard me all offseason, I don't like the receivers at all, and they're replacing an NFL running back, Jamal Williams, who he's pushing – well, not that it matters too much, but he's pushing Ty Montgomery for starting reps in Green Bay. And so you lose a guy in the NFL running back, it's, it's a big loss. So, But it's, they're not going to beat – UNLV's not going to beat them. It doesn't matter. Then they go to New Mexico. Dream style stadium. Lobo's got to earn that credit, man. Got to get that money, or the uh, Dream style needs that um, publicity. I guess mm-hmm. you can buy a home. That's where that's where you go. Is that what it's called? Dream style homes. <laughs> can the big question here? Clearly, what we all know. I want to ask is: Can the Lobos? Well, no, they'll run the ball well. Can the Rebels actually stop the Lobo rush defense offense anyway at all? And it's probably no, but we got to ask the question anyways. See, again, I feel like this is one of those games that's going to be a track meet. Yeah, because both defenses are terrible. <laughs> I'll, I'll say it. <laughs> the, he said it, not me. Twitter, at um, Jeremy Moss. Do it. And, I, I mean, I think that, you know, this is probably a game in which both teams score 40 points, and it's probably whoever gets the ball last. But, you know, if I'm if I'm leaning on anything when I make these predictions, it's usually like whoever has the biggest strength. So while I like UNLV's running game, you know, if I had to trust one or the other, I would place my faith more in New Mexico's ability to control the clock and be efficient in a way that UNLV didn't always show last year. So that's why I have this one as a New Mexico win, but a close win. I wouldn't be surprised if Rebels do get a victory here because you talked about strengths. Like the, clearly, the, there's only what a handful of teams who have a better running attack than the Lobos. We got Air Force, Army, Navy, maybe Georgia Tech. Alabama runs the ball pretty well. However, Rebels, their receiving group is really good, and so if they're going to come out on top, it's going to be like you said. There's going to be points to be had in this game. I'm wondering if UNLV will get that through the air more often, and that's an area where. Look what Brett Rippon did last year. I know comparing the UNLV passing game to Boise passing game is kind of futile. However, Rebels should be able to throw the ball well with the receiving group, and the Lobos secondary is not very good. And so if UNLV is going to get a victory, it's because they're giving the ball to Kendall Keyes, Devontae Boyd, complementing that running attack. But that's how they're going to get it done is getting not necessarily just deep passes, but going through the air rather than using the running game to move the ball. But I still don't think that'll be enough because Lobos will rack off probably five eighty-yard runs at some point. It seems like <laughs> that's a lot. But I'm just saying. All right. So how about the finale? The Fremont Cannon finale. Mm-hmm. It's it's blue at the moment. 
Rebels got embarrassed last year at home. I'm I'm out of the gate. I'm picking Nevada Twin I, for some reason. It's kind of a stupid pick, sort of stupid upset pick. But we'll know what the Air Pack or not Air Pack. That's not what they're called. What's their official? What, they're not going to Air Wolf. They went Pack Attack, right? They didn't take our suggestion. I still like the Air Wolf better, but they get a Pack Attack. Um, it could be David Cromwell, the sort of starter. He was technically named Luke. He's it's the most lukewarm. Um, Confirmation of a starting quarterback when head coach, uh, not head coach, um, yeah, Jay Norvell says he's a starting quarterback for now. <laughs> I mean, for me, I, I mean, you know, I don't think it's any secret that I'm not too high on Nevada going into this year. And I don't necessarily know how much you can glean from last year's matchup just because of the fact that, you know, UNLV was so beat up by the time they got to that game, you know, especially on offense. So, you know, I feel like, you know, that air raid offense that they're installing up in Reno is probably going to be able to make some plays. But I like UNLV to win this one. Ooh, to get the red, get the cannon back red? I do. Hmm. I don't know. I just, part of it, like you mentioned last year, they played all those games in a row. They got ten in a row this time. I just, I don't know, Mike. I forget. I I think maybe okay. I think part of the reason it may have been the James Butler factor. I why I chose Nevada to win, but James Butler's no longer there. But I'll stick with my pick. I'm not afraid. So okay. I think part of it. Why not? Why Why should I change now? Really? It's too late to change now. I guess it is because what did I pick Nevada's record? I picked them at. <laughs> I picked them two and ten. That'd be pretty bad to go. Oh, you're one and eleven. You're last year's Fresno State. Sorry, but <laughs> no, I'll pick it because um, ten games in a row is difficult, and Nevada their pass offense is unique enough where because if you look at like if we go back to the passing attacks where I kind of mentioned some are good, some aren't good. Look at the passing attacks they're facing like that are really good. There, what would you say? What would you account for as a re- really good passing attack? This honestly, this. Outside of Ohio State, could you say this is the best passing attack they'll face all year? I mean, I think that there's potential at Utah State. I think that, you know, there's definitely potential at Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Maybe I mean, BYU if they catch the ball. I don't know. If the receivers are anything special, maybe. You know, I think I, I do expect Christian Chapman to take a step forward at San Diego State. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, there's really not a lot of high-flying passing offenses, but there are, you know, solid to pretty good passing attacks on this schedule. There are. That's my my point because if they're going to go four wide and play all those receivers five wide at times, it's going to be probably for sure the most unique offense they'll face in the passing game, and not they'll be the most potent. But I don't know if David Cromwell, if he's that good, maybe they the guy from Alabama, maybe they get together and do something great part of the time. But like, I think you're right. Like Chapman should be better. Maybe Kent Myers. Hey, maybe, maybe Fresno with receivers they have, they do something pretty good, but I'm still going to Nevada just because um, I picked them before. And yeah, their, their offense, all passing offense is a complete 180 from the Mexico and they will struggle to stop the passing game. There you go. I said it. So what do you have them at overall? 
I have them losing nine in a eight in a row, going three. They started. I have them good, three and one. They love me in September. From the rest of the way, they lose eight in a row to end up three and nine. See, I have them at five and seven overall, and three and five in the conference. What game, if you're, because that's right in the bubble, the over-under is like five and a half games from most casinos and stuff. What What's your confident level of them getting to a six victory to go to a bowl game? I think a lot of that will hinge on how good Armani Rogers is. Because like I said, we, we know that the passing game is going to be better. It's a question of how much. So if he is that 60% guy, you know, even with the defensive question marks, you know, this could be one of the conference's best offenses regardless. And if that's the case, they could give Air Force a run for the money. They could give Utah State a run for the money. They could beat Hawaii at home. They could go to New Mexico and win because there are more than a few suspect defenses on the schedule. To me, it's a question of, you know, if they reach their ceiling, that I think is the difference between like four and eight and five and seven or six and six and seven and five. Because I think the defense is going to take another year to really coalesce and kind of hit its stride. But the offense has potential to be really good this year. And if they can be, you never know. They could be the, the most disruptive team in the conference. All right, let me ask you this before we wrap it up. When you look at the uh, percentage from like Bill Connolly, the win probability, I should say, Mm-hmm. What would you what would you consider like a toss up game? Would it be more than forty percent? But like anywhere between forty and sixty percent would be kind of a toss up. Like anywhere between forty and fifty or fifty five percent. I think I kind of know where you're going with this. Ah, you do, do you? Good, I excellent. Think so. so, so if you look at who they're playing, they're only favored technically versus Hawaii, Howard, whatever. Sure, fifty two percent. But then if you look at these games. And this is where maybe they could get to a bowl game because I asked you before, like, what could get them to that six win? Idaho's 46%. San Jose State's 50%. Air Force, 43%. Fresno, 43%. Hawaii, 52 as I mentioned. New Mexico and Nevada, 44%. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games within 9% of toss-up, not including the Howard game. Could all those games be vic- victory for a victory for UNLV? That would be like flipping a coin and expecting it to come up heads every single time. True. It's kind of interesting to me that all of those, save for San Jose State, are on the road. Oh, they are, yeah. And if you look at what they did on the road last year, the only victory that they had was at Hawaii. So <laughs> go figure. Go figure, right? So I don't I don't want to say it's possible because it's it's probably not if I'm being totally honest with myself. But again, like if they win, if they steal a win or two on the road, which I kind of already expect them to, you know, going to Nevada to win, going to Fresno State to win. But if they can surprise you know, let's say either Air Force or New Mexico, like if those defenses don't coalesce in the way that I kind of expect them to, you know, that could easily flip five and seven to seven and five. 
then also one thing to note too, like Utah State home is thirty percent win probability. Yeah. So that's kind of weird too. So I just brought that up. I was, I was going through there before we wrap it up the probability because I haven't been looking at that page very often throughout the show, and I noticed oh there's a bunch of forty percent ones. So I the, this season could have a chance to be I, maybe that's why I'm at three wins. You're at five wins. The Vegas books have at five and a half, and there's a good amount of people saying six or more wins. There's I would not be over like I wouldn't be overly shocked at six wins to go to a bowl game. When I did like the uh, our, I posted these a while ago. So if you're a Patreon member, you could have seen these. You still can. Like I made my bets for the year essentially, and I'm like, stay away from you, and it'll be like, I my my pick would be under, but I would stay away from the Rebels because they do have enough potential to beat uh, obviously Howard, get Idaho, maybe upset New Mexico. New Mexico seems to always have an odd loss on their schedule. Nevada's not as good with James Butler anymore. Fresno, yeah, it's a road game, but. They're still they they won one game last year, and so I wouldn't be overly shocked if they go six and six. I'm not predicting it, and don't think it'll happen, but it wouldn't be something where they it would just blow me out of the water if they go to a bowl game. It's not expected, but it's still I could see it happening. So could I. All right. Anything else we need to talk about the Rebels tonight? Are we got everything good to go? I think we are pretty much all set. So at this point, this is our final. Team preview, not final show, team preview over at uh, mwire.com. That's our new uh, short, uh, very easy to digest uh, URL. Now what we're going to do, our next show will be our gigantic season preview show where we kind of go through a few different categories. Like um, what do we go through? Best game. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. What do we got? Like stupid upset pick, stuff like that, right? Bold predictions. It'll be that type of show. We'll have something to get you through that last week before things before kick into high gear. Well, not really. Week zero is kind of a, the appetizer. It's high gear. We got... It's three okay. games. Okay. For us, it's high gear. For other teams, it may not be because we talk about everybody. So, yes, I should be more excited. Get in high gear to week zero games. We do have the very, the very first game, CSU-Oregon State, right there. It got moved up to 1230 uh, local time there in Fort Collins. By that point, we'll have our big preview show. We will be then going twice a week for about an hour or so per show. We will do our best to keep the uh, 12 non-conference game shows to be under, what, 80 minutes? Can we promise 80 minutes? We can promise 80 minutes, yeah. Unless yeah, the I think we can more than 80 minutes. I don't know. We'll see. I'll look at the uh, completion percentage of the podcast. That leads me to say no. Okay. But... We will. One thing new we're going to do this year, like we have, um, well, it's already been long gone, so I'm not going to mention that podcast, but I was doing kind of these daily things in the off season. I may bring on one of our writers, somebody else from opposing teams to kind of do a 15 or 20 minute kind of mini podcast because when we do our previews, we're just talking about the game. We're not talking about, oh, here's what happened at camp or what Coach X said when we're talking about Michigan because they're playing Air Force or Urban Meyer playing UNLV or whatever Kalani Sataki saying when we play BYU half the, every other week. So we'll do some sort of podcast like that, a little bit shorter, so I know people like that. But And then also, you and I have made an executive decision. I guess we're the only two to do the podcast, so it's only you and me. When we do our previews, we're going to splice up each individual pre game preview as its own podcast feed. So we'll have the full hour-plus show of you and me attempting to sound um, 
knowledgeable at college football here. And usually succeeding. But, yeah, usually. I'll say usually, yeah. You, you so more than me at times, just because that happens. However, when we have games, say, not including FCS games, because we're probably not going to preview those really, but when we have non-conference games like when – I'll use BYU as an example because there's a lot of BYU teams we play or schedules. Yeah, I'm getting tired tonight. It's getting late. We will break up. So BYU, UNLV will break up. We'll break up Air Force, Michigan, its own little six-minute segment. So if you want to listen to your team, you don't have to listen to us jabber about teams you don't care about. And hopefully people appreciate that. Sounds good to me. Sounds good because I don't really want to put time marks in there. And even though you think that might be easier, it's actually easier for me to do it this way. So thank me later. <laughs> when you want to hear the preview. So we'll be dividing them up that way, but we'll still have our regular shows. That You can thank us with reviews. Yeah. Reviews and shares of the show and listens because to get that sweet, sweet guacamole money or burrito money, we want listens, reviews, and yeah, that's what we want. Listen to our show and let us know how you think about it because I have been talking terribly the past four minutes, so let's wrap this up now. Cool. That's our show tonight. Check us out, mwwire.com. Uh, same on Facebook at Mountain West Wire, MWC Wire on Twitter. If you want to give us a couple bucks at Patreon, join our Fantasy Football League. Because I'm pretty sure we'll have leagues opening at this point as well because we'll add as many as we need. Patreon.com backslash MWC Wire. That's show for tonight. We'll see you next time. And season's here. And, yeah, we're still biased against your team. <laughs>